Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. Well, amen. Thank you, praise team. That was a blessing. It's good to say that we've been in the house of the Lord this morning and that we can worship Him freely. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we'll be at. As you make your way there, I want to give some introductory com- um, comments as we get started. Um, as I, this past week, I was able to go to a counseling conference in Charlotte, and uh, it was a blessing to be able to be there. It was uh, there at Hickory Grove Baptist in Harris, uh, on, on Harris Road, and it was just, uh, it was a really it was a big eye-opening time for me. Just I, I did the conference last year virtually, and me and John, who came a couple weeks ago, we were going to be there together, and then he had to bail on me for some things that were going on in his church. And so I went to, to go by myself, and I spent some time with my mom, my dad, and my brother at some lunch times and some friends that I, I married a couple uh, about a year ago. And uh, it was just it was great to be around believers again, um, pastors that you know some of us we haven't gotten together in in a year and a half because of COVID and, and to see just the refreshing look on their eyes. And and one of the men said, we have churches that have been hurting for the last 20 months, 19, 20 months. We've been Christians that have just been walking around, just going through life. And, And it really got me even thinking more about this message that God laid on my heart a couple of weeks ago when Harold asked me to preach. And I wanted to really start out by saying church, I think it's time for us to stop going through the motions. I think it's time for us to be the church that Jesus wants us to be and step out by faith in what God wants us to be. Everyone living in the power of God, this is a hard statement as I heard it and I began writing it down and thinking about it. Everyone living in the power of God's faith should be able to end their day with more victories than defeats. Everyone living in the power of God should be able to end your day with more victories than defeats. Now, did, that, did I say that you're not going to have any defeats? No, there's going to be some things in your life that are going to defeat you. But if we are living and walking in God's word daily, at the end of our day, hopefully we will be able to see us having more victories through life than defeats. As we were been teaching through the college class, we've been teaching through our Baptist distinctives, what we believe as Baptists. And the very first one that we begin with is, I don't know if you know this, but the word Baptists is an acrostic for what we believe. And the B is biblical authority has the final faith and practice for everything that we believe. And if we are going to be a Christian that is going to be empowered by our faith, we must live in the power of God's word daily. We're going to talk about that as we go through this. But as we look through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll read it in just a minute, uh, Paul as he's writing this, is comparing the philosophies of the world and the power of our faith. There is a divided life when we try to live in the flesh and not live for Christ. The Bible says it like this, we cannot serve two masters. We will either be master, we will either be slaves to the flesh or we'll be slaves to God. As I began even studying that moment out for, for a minute my mind went to Revelation, and it says that Jesus would rather us be hot Christians 
or cold Christians. He says that he would rather us be those two because warm Christians is just disgusting and it spews you out of their mouth. I, as even I got to thinking about that, this morning I made me a cup of coffee, as I do most mornings. And I like my coffee really hot. Okay, I like it piping hot. Throughout the day, if I make a cup and I bring it to work and I get busy and I pick up that cup of coffee and it turns a little warm, how many of you are there? you like, it's just a little disgusting when coffee gets a little warm, okay? We're starting to jive a little bit. Now, on the other side, I like my iced sweet tea from Chick-fil-A as cold as they can get it, okay? I don't like hot tea. I don't like warm tea. I like my tea cold. When it begins to get warm, I throw it away or I put more ice in it, okay? This is the relationship that Jesus is saying here that John is writing down when he says he wants us to either be hot or cold. This in-between stuff has got to go. We've got to be Christians. We've got to be people. As Galatians says in Galatians chapter 5, then I say unto you, walk in the Spirit. And when you do that, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two oppose one another, so that you may not be able to do the things that God wants you to do. And so church, we have got to get to the point where we step up and we say, God, I want to be living in the spirit. I want to be living in the faith that you've given me. There is a daily struggle that we fight against the world. For us to be living a victorious Christian life, we must fight against Satan, the demons, the spiritual powers that we cannot see. We must fight against them. There is a fight. That's why the Bible says, and I started out by saying if we are living for the Word of God and we're living through the Word of God, we should end our day with more victories than defeats. And so I hope you've taken your time to get in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll give some background stuff to hear. But I want you to stand as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read the first five verses. And listen to some of the words and the verbiage that Paul is using here as he's writing to the Corinthian church, because I think it's very, very applicable for us in today's day and age. In our 21st Christianity in the year 2020, I believe that these verses are very applicable for us today as he was writing them 2,000 years ago. It says this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimonies of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it demonstrated, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your reading. I pray that you would help me to say the words that you'd want me to say this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The first four verses of these couple of verses of Scripture as we begin to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, the first four verses sets the stage for verse 5. First four verses gives us sort of what Paul is warning us to be at. And then in verse 5, he says this, Your faith, the faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Your faith this morning must be based on on the power of God, not the philosophy of the world. We have got to get back to the foundation that our faith is on the Word of God. If I look up the word faith, 
And what it means, faith is a persuasive belief of the truth. It is an active conviction. Hebrews 11, 1 and 6 talk about this. And then you take faith and you put it together with truth or the Word of God, and you see that faith is an active response to the Word of God. Faith is an active response to what we read and what we get in Scripture. And so as we begin to look at this faith, my mind went to the statement that Greg Boone said this last year at, at summer camp. And he said that our faith is not the faith of unicorns and fairy dust. All right? That's not what our faith is. Our faith is not believing in something that's made up in a storybook that we tell to our kids and we get them excited and every little girl in the world right now wants a unicorn. And my, my, my niece and nep- my nieces just went and had a photo shoot done with a unicorn. Okay? They had a horse out there. It was a white horse. And they put a unicorn horn on this horse and they took a picture with it. And my daughter was walking around with it and she said, Dad, unicorns are real. Caitlin and Madison got a picture with a unicorn. Can I have a unicorn? Okay, that is not what our faith is believed in. But our faith is like this, as Greg Boone says, our faith is in like, as in the Son of God and in religion and in Christianity and in God's Word is like believing in atoms. No one in the world has ever seen an atom. With the best microscope and all that fun stuff that science does, We have never been able to see with our naked eye or with any help an atom. We have a picture of what we think it would be, uh, and you can look that up, but but we cannot see an atom. Now, we all have seen the effect of an atom, right? You've all seen videos or you've seen in the history book when America split an atom in Hiroshima to end World War II, and we saw the destruction of what happens when we split an atom, but yet we still haven't seen an atom. And that's what this power, when it says the power of God, that is what it is saying, church. We have the faith in God that is so powerful that we can't even understand it. When we look at what faith does and we look at this power, we see the inherent strength of it. And when we look at what this word is used in the text, it is used in a fixed position. And what does that mean when I say it's used in a fixed position? This is what it means. It means that you were in a state of doing nothing. You see, too many times as Christians, we began to be all over the place. We start out our morning, I'm guilty of this, where we've got our checklist of everything we need done, and we begin to get busy, and we begin to start our day, and we forget to be still, as the Bible says in Psalms, be still and know that I am God. The Bible says sometimes we just need to slow down, stop what we're doing, get in a fixed position of doing nothing to get along with God. It's this rest the Bible talks about, this abiding in God. God's power energizes our faith into action for his glory. You see, I can get up and I can do a lot of things on my own. I can do a lot of things in my own strength, but I will get weary in well-doing. I've talked about that. But when we begin to get our power from God on high, we begin to see great things happen. As I was thinking about that rest, my mind went to a story in the Bible of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are there at Jesus, and Jesus came to their house, and oh, they're, they're having a wonderful time. And one of them was in the, Mary was in the, in the kitchen making all the food and getting everything ready for, for Jesus and, and his, his, his time with them. And 
Martha just sat at the feet of Jesus in quietness, listening to him teach. And Mary was slaving away. I can imagine Mary. I get this way sometimes. Me and my wife were maybe in an argument, and, and I began to do the dishes, and I, I do the dishes a little bit louder than what I normally would. Okay, I maybe take the pot, and I sort of throw it in the, in the sink a little bit louder than what I should have, or I grab some spoons or whatever, and I throw them in there just to make some noise, just to get her attention. Okay, passive-aggressive, right? That's how we are. We like to be passive-aggressive sometimes. So I'm imagining Mary's in there making some bread and making some desserts and getting things ready, and she may have slammed the oven door a little bit louder than what she normally would have. Okay, think with me a little bit here. Okay, there wasn't an oven. Don't, don't get me wrong, but, but they were doing some things to make And she's trying to get Martha's attention. She's trying to get Jesus' attention. And then she says, Jesus, because she tries to manipulate Jesus here. Don't, don't forget this. She says, Jesus, shouldn't Mary, Martha be in here helping me? And Jesus responds, Martha's exactly where she needs to be at the feet of Jesus, learning from the master. Because she tried to manipulate Jesus. And she, Jesus said, no, 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 no. Sometimes we just need to slow down, slow your roll, get at the feet of Jesus, and understand what he has for us. You see, I've got a picture here of if they were to remake modern-day Corinth, this is what it would look like. Okay, It would be a very beautiful city. It was the center of all religion and what was going on in that day, all of the Greek Stoics and philosophies met at this place called Corinth. There was a main road, the Lynchian Road, and that road led into all of this. You see the Bema here, that's the Bema seat, that's where we get the judgment seat. We get that term from there. And you can see there's one, two, three temples in Corinth. Because Corinth was all about the education that someone could get. People actually got paid to just get up and debate one another, to just get up and to see how well you could speak and how educated you were. And when Paul came to Corinth to reach them for Jesus, they had no time for the belief in Jesus because religion was in the mind. And anything that was in the mind was relative and could change until Paul showed up with the gospel. And just like the Corinth church we find ourselves divided because that's where they were at in the scripture. They were divided because they would hear what the, the wisdom of the world was and they would say, well, that sounds really good. Maybe I should sort of forget what Paul said and follow after the religion of the world. And, and that's where these people were at. And you may say yourself, I'm divided over the confidence of my flesh. I'm divided over the achievements and the success and the money that I've made and Maybe you're struggling to study God's word every day. Or maybe you're here and you're divided living each day with little sense of fulfillment of your own spiritual power. Church, don't give up. There is hope for you today to be empowered by your faith. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Very quickly, I've got four points directly from scripture, from these four verses. And then I'm going to give you some applicational thoughts that you can take with you on your week. So here we go. Let's jump right into it. Four truths to fill our lives with empowered faith. Sorry, my mic is messing up just a little bit. The first one is this. In verse one, we're going to look at each verse, one, two, three, and four. That's our four points. The first one is this. And brethren, I came to you not with excellency of speech of wisdom, but declaring unto you the testimony of God. 
He starts out by saying there is a declaration. There is a declaration that we must make. I put it like this. It's not in your notes, but you can write it down if you want. This is a daily outpouring of a mindset to announce the gospel of Jesus. A daily outpouring of a mindset to announce the gospel. Now, how does this look like when, when we begin to look at how Jesus taught? Jesus taught in John chapter 4 this, in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food, this is the mindset, to do the will, this is the gospel, of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is the cross. So when Jesus says this, he said, my mindset is to do the will of God, which is the gospel, to tell others about him. And how am I going to do this? Through the work of the cross. And so there must be a declaration. It must be a time where we are telling others about our faith. Psalm 71 says, my mouth shall tell of the righteousness of your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. When I read that verse as I was studying and I came across it, I have never met anyone in my years of ministry. I'm alive 32 years, been doing ministry for, if you count college, 14, 15 years. So almost half of my life I've been doing some type of ministry work, serving in the church, helping out. And in my days of serving Jesus and, and proclaiming the gospel, I have never met anyone that said, you know what, Pastor James, about five years ago, God's grace, his mercy, his goodness, it sort of ran out. I've met the limit of what God can do, and I've just experienced the last five years on my own. I've prayed, and I've read God's word, and hey, God's, God's mercy and spirit just left. I've never met anyone to say that, but what I have heard is people, even on their deathbeds, who have said, God has been so good to me. Even in this moment of, I'm about to cross over into glory, I can never think of a time where God's grace didn't meet me in my need. Because we will never know the limits of God's grace and his salvation. I'm going to read that again. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. We don't know the limit that God can do. You see, Paul's mission was to announce and to tell others about the gospel. If I were to correlate Paul's day in Corinth, as you saw that picture, if I were to correlate that to midnight, I believe this is what Paul would do. He would walk down to the DG, Dollar General, if you didn't know that, the DG. Some of them call it the Dollar General, however you want to say it. Okay? He would go down to the Dollar General, and on his checkout line, he would ask the person beside him, hey, do you know about Jesus? Have you heard about this man named Jesus that I serve? You know, I was once a sinner killing people, but he saved me. Oh, you haven't heard of him? Let me tell you about him. Oh, you've heard of him? Great. Hope you're walking with him. He would go down to the local Walmart or the food line when he would be shopping, and he would run into someone, and he would tell them about Jesus. You know, we have these things all around us that we don't even think about. I get up in the morning, and I, I literally, guys, you're going to think this is crazy. You're going to think this is insane. My wife gets on to me all the time. I don't know what I wear when I get up and put my clothes on. Okay, and some of you have seen this in me. I don't match all the time. I don't always wear the same, the right colors. At camp one time this last year, I think it was Briley, I, I walked out of the cabin and she said, Pastor James, you're going to wear that? <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's shorts and a shirt. Like, I'm covered up. Okay, so, so I, I don't consciously understand sometimes what I'm wearing. Like, Sundays I, I look nice. I've got to praise Jesus with my clothes, and so I do that. So I make sure I match a little bit. But throughout the week, I just put things on. Yesterday... 
I'm walking in Walmart. I got up that morning. I put my clothes on. I, I don't know what I put on, guys. Remember this. I'm walking in Walmart with my family. Jade's beside me. This person comes down the aisle, and she stops me. I like your shirt. Cool. What's on my shirt? <laughs> I didn't know what was on my shirt, guys. And it said, not today, Satan. And I looked down. I was like, oh, yeah, it's a great shirt. And I said, how's Jesus doing in your life? Are you oppressed by Satan, or are you living a victorious life for Jesus? She was like, you know, I've struggled with that. I need to live more for Jesus. I said, that's great. We walked on by her. It was that simple. I didn't even realize what I was wearing. But we were able to declare Jesus in everything that we do. Paul didn't come to Corinth to elevate himself, to start a religious rhetoric club, because he came as an ambassador to Christ, not some Christian salesman. Our faith is empowered when we decree the gospel to everyone. When you begin to go out from this church and you begin to tell people about what God has done for you and the blessings that he's done in your life, your faith is empowered. For sake of time, we've got to hurry on. Number two, not only a declaration, but in verse two, a determination. A determination. You ready? For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is a daily outpouring of a crucified fellowship with Jesus. When he uses this word, I determined, I wanted to look that up because that word is not used a lot in, in Paul's vernacular, but when he used this word, this is what it means. It means a legal decree declared by a judge. Paul was saying this, it is settled. Your life with Jesus is settled. It's a legal decree when a judge says, you have broke a law and you're going to spend 10 years in prison and hits that gavel on the podium of his desk. He is declaring, he is decreeing that judgment. That is the determination that Paul was saying here. He is saying this is a legal decree from a judge from Jesus saying that your faith is settled in heaven and no one can take it away. Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. A verse that is very familiar to us, Galatians 2.20. Listen to it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And all God's people should say amen in that. And the life which I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5 says it like this. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh and the passions and the desires. We should be determined to not live the way the world wants us to live. Galatians 6, 14, but God forbid that I should boast on anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The life exists for the cross as it costs for us to live for Jesus. Eternal life exists for the resurrection when we are raised to Jesus. The clock is ticking, church. There are people lost. There are people dying every single day. You cannot ride down any road in Alexander County almost without seeing one of three things. An Alexander funeral home service, an Adams funeral home service, or a Chapman's funeral home service tent somewhere. Because people are dying. It is guaranteed that we will one day pass from life unto death. It's hard to think about that 
I've lost people in my life, and in my, if the Lord tarries is coming, I will continue to lose people in my life. But the thing is, is what are we doing for the gospel's sake? What are we doing to reach these people before they die and before they spend eternity in one of two places? What are we doing for the lost? What are we doing to reach people outside of these walls? How are we influencing them and telling them about Jesus so that they can come to know the wonderful grace that Jesus has given us? Oh, God, church, there must be a determination. There must be a declaration. But third, there must be a desperation. And this is a daily outpouring of a contented weakness as God's vessel. Listen to verse 3. As I was with you in weakness, Paul was there when they were weak, and in fear, Paul was fearful, and in much trembling. There was a desperation here, church. When I looked up the word weakness, when it said weakness, this is the thought of without any strength. Imagine you've worked all day, you've been out in the field, you've done some stuff, and when you sit down in that chair, that lazy boy chair at your house, and you sit down and that sigh of comes over you, and by the next three seconds, you close your eyes and you go to sleep, okay? How many has that ever happened to you? Within moments of sitting in a chair, you're asleep. That's the thought here when it says this weakness has come over us because when we sit down, we can't do anything else. Sleep comes over us because we are a vessel that can do nothing. We are the vessel. The vessel does, if I were to put this bottle of water here, and I come back tomorrow, and I come through the church and pick up any of the things I've left around, the bottle of water isn't going to move from here down to that chair by itself. Now, my son may come up here and grab this bottle of water and move it. And so the vessel was moved because someone else touched it. And we are the vessel, church, and we should be in such desperation that we say, God, I can do nothing but boast in you. I can do nothing but boast in your grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, a couple verses over, says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly would I rather boast in my affirmities that the power, again, the power of Christ may rest upon me. In your notes, I put it like this. Paul wanted to become nothing so that Christ would get the spotlight from his life. Paul said, I don't want to be anything. When people look at me, I want them to see me as just a wretched saved by faith. Saved by the grace of God so that I can live for him. As many of you know, I'm a football fan. I like to watch football. And uh, the Dolphins have done somewhat pretty good this year. No, they haven't. I'm joking. It's a, no one in here watches football, apparently, because they would know that was a joke. Um, but the Panthers have done really good. But this past week, on Sunday, I went to my dad's house. We watched a couple of football games. I came home. I watched another football game. But then at 8 o'clock, 8.20, the, the, the game, the highlight game came on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Tom Brady was going to set... The all-time passing record. And so I began to watch it. And my brother told me about this earlier when I was at my dad's house. And he said, James, he said, you remember when Peyton Manning, who I love Peyton Manning, I love watching him play. He said, you remember when Peyton Manning a couple years ago broke a passing, I think it was a amount of passes or something, touchdown passes, I think is what it was. He said, when he passed that record, do you remember how the stadium shut down? And the fireworks came out, and the lights flickered, and they honored Peyton Manning in that pass. I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, Tom Brady, this is what he said. 
He said, when I make the record, and I beat the record because he knew he was. He was only 64 yards shy of break, breaking the record. He said, I want the game to continue on. I don't want anything to stop. I don't want any lights or fanfare or nothing. He said, I just want to keep playing football. He said, that's what I'm out here to do. He said, it's not about me, but it's about everybody else's around me. And you may like Tom Brady or not. You may think he's a cheater or not. I don't care what you think. But when that time came and I was watching and I said, Allie, you got to stop. Like this is, you got to stop messing around the kitchen. Like this is, we're about to break the record here. And he passed the ball and, and they, they gave him one extra yard to tie the record with Drew Brees. And then the next play, he threw a 14 yard pass. And there was no lights, there was no fireworks. The camera panned over to Drew Brees on the sideline, and he nodded to Peyton Man or to Tom Brady. And Tom Brady came out 40 seconds later when the play clock was about to expire and continued on with football. How many of us in that moment would have stopped and said, I'm the greatest of all time? This record in my mind will not be broken in my lifetime. No one in football today will break this record in my lifetime. And he stood there saying, let's just play football. How many times in our life do we do this with the Christian life and say, you know what? Let's just go tell others about Jesus. Let's just be so humble that I want to see souls saved. Church, I said this morning at the very beginning, there are people without hope. There are people that are hurting and, and so desperate for someone to give them hope. And we're sitting in a church this morning that has all the hope, that has all the faith, that has all the encouragement that someone can give from God's word, and we're holding it to ourselves. We need to be desperate by getting the gospel out. So there's a declaration, there's a determination, there's a desperation. And then lastly, this evening is, this morning is a demonstration. This is a daily outpouring of reflecting Christ as Lord. Look at verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You remember, Corinth was all about man's wisdom. So he's telling them, it's not, that's not what I came for. But it was a demonstration of the spirit and the power of God. This demonstration was pointing everything away from him and to other people. It pointed everything away from him and to his Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul came saying, if I were to win you and point you to me, you would be hopeless. You would be without anything because you were following a man. But I wanted to point you to Christ, to the Savior, to the Redeemer of the world, because that is the wisdom of man. You see, when we go through life, we go through a time where we must demonstrate what it means to follow Jesus. This past two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, we were at the house and Allie sent me an email, called me and said, hey, check your email. And I checked my email and on the email was a time where Brody had gotten in trouble at school. And uh, it wasn't anything major, huge. He didn't beat anybody up. He didn't do anything wrong, but he did something that I think if we were honest with ourselves in here today, we would all say that we've probably been in this position. He hadn't studied for something and he decided to pull out a little cheat sheet and he decided to cheat on a test. And uh, I said, okay, we'll deal with him when he gets home. And so we, we came home and immediately when he came home, he, he came to me, dad, I, I'm so sorry. I, I was wrong. I cheated on my test today. And I said, let's go in the, in the room and talk. And so we go in there, and he, 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 I know that he was thinking that I was just going to tear his butt up, and he was going to get a spanking. And I sat there, and I said, Brody, I said, we all make mistakes. 
said, but do you think Jesus still loves you in this mistake? He said, yeah, I think he does, Dad. I said, Brody, I took God's word out. I said, Brody, you know what the Bible says in the Ten Commandments about lying and cheating? He said, that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. I said, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't. I said, can we pray together? So we prayed together. I told him I loved him. And I said, Brody, let's not do this again. It's demonstrating from the Bible how we should live our life. Now, he was fully expecting me to tear his butt up, and I probably should have. I was probably a bad parent then. I probably should have disciplined him and showed him it was wrong. But in that moment, I was probably a bad parent. I just said, Brody, let's, let's just do better. God would want you to do better. And so this is sort of where Paul was at. He was saying the Stoics and the orators and the philosophers, they may have changed their thinking, but only the gospel can demonstrate itself by changing a man's life by the power of God. And that is what we have the responsibility to go out and to demonstrate the power of God. So as our musicians come, as Mark and the ladies come to play, and when you get there, you can start playing. I've got four questions to help us this morning. They're, all, they're listed. You don't even have to fill in the blanks. They're just there because I want you to think about them. I want you to process these questions as you go throughout your week. And I'll spend the next four minutes looking at these verses because these are application of really what we're getting back to is how to have the faith to stand in the power of God, not the wisdom of man. And so these are the four questions that I want you to think. And, and church, if, if you answer no to any of these questions, this may be a good time for us to reevaluate our life. Maybe come forward or sit in your seat there. All responses don't have to come forward. I understand that. I know that you can make decisions in your seat. But it may be a time for us to reevaluate where we're at as a church as well. Because these are the four questions. I bring the gospel into my conversations with strangers daily. I daily make it a point to tell people that I don't know who Jesus is. Verse 2 says it like this. I am in a daily habit of crucifying my flesh, humbling myself, determining that I can do nothing but desire to fellowship with Christ. Is it a daily habit for us this morning? Are we daily getting up and spending that quiet time, spending that time in prayer, spending that time in God's Word, giving us the ammunition that we need, the energy that we need? Just as you may get up and have an energy drink or a cup of coffee, this is the spiritual energy that we need to live a life that is for Jesus. Number three, I've been choosing not to hide my weakness from God, but been consciously giving them to Him so that my pride isn't in the way for Him to use me. Are we putting ourselves humbly before God, saying, help me in this area? Remember, in, when we reveal our weakness, He gives us the strength. And in verse 4, it says, I live every day with the anticipation that there will be moments today that I will get to reflectively point people to Jesus. It's all about Jesus this morning, church. What can we do to point people's life to the only hope that they're going to have in this world? The only hope that they will ever experience is the hope of Jesus, not the philosophies of man, not the philosophies of Jamesology, not the philosophies of whatever you think, but the philosophies of what God's Word says. The greatest strength that we'll ever have, church, is leading people to a greater understanding of what God's Word says.
That's why I'm, I'm so passionate about teaching our young people how to have a relationship with Jesus and what that means. And so church, maybe one of those questions you struggle with this morning, I'm going to be down front. If you need me to pray with you, or if you just need to come down by yourself and pray, man, that's great. If you want to sit right there in your seat and pray, do it. But I'm going to pray for us now, and Mark's going to come and lead us. Father, I thank you for what you've done. I pray that you'll help something that I said be an encouragement to someone. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.